You guys can have a seat. You guys can go find your seats again if you like. Or stay here in prayer. I don't care. Whatever you want to do. Hey, it's Palm Sunday. We got our uh, palms up on the, around the church. That's kind of sweet. We're going to be uh, serving communion today. So if you are a follower of Christ, it doesn't matter if you're part of this church. You can be a visitor or whatever. The communion table is open to you. Uh, if you are in Christ today, if you've never made a commitment to Christ, uh, Scripture says actually don't take communion because you're acknowledging a, a sacrifice or an offering that you haven't yet received and we always say we don't see that as a prohibition. We actually see it as an invitation. Today might be the day that you say, I, I want to find freedom in Christ. And I want to find a new relationship with him as many of us here in this room have experienced. Um, we are continuing our series, Ancient History, uh, the earliest chapters of God's story. And here's kind of where we are in the narrative if you have your Bibles, you can turn into Exodus 7. And I know some of you are saying, wait, didn't we get past that already? I actually want to take us back a little bit. I'm sorry, Exodus 5 is where we're going to be today. Exodus 5. Um, at this point in the narrative, we've looked at the life of Moses primarily, including his origin story, uh, his calling to deliver God's people out of slavery. And now uh, we've seen, as of last week, this massive confrontation between God and Pharaoh that played out with the plagues and all of the stuff that was brought against the nation of Egypt. But I, I want to go back today to that initial kind of demand, that initial messaging that Moses and Aaron brought as they were called to go by God. I want to read through this with you, and I want to encourage you to read it with me in real time. Again, just to try to stay present in the moment of what you see God doing. And then we're going to look at two very fairly simple points today, but I think points that have profound impact for us as followers of Christ. So read with me in Exodus chapter 5. Uh, this title of this message is On Slavery and Freedom. And in particular, I want to, I want to focus in on the suffering, and then I want to talk about uh, the freedom that we have in Christ and what that actually looks like, maybe in contrast to how we see that talked about in our world today. So Exodus chapter 5, uh, verse 1 and following reads this way. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go, so they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. So they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and the overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they are crying out, let us go and sac make sacrifices to our God. Make the work harder for the people so that they will keep working and pay no attention to lies. That's Exodus 5, 1-9. May God add blessing to the reading of his word this morning. 
So one of the things that I've been particularly uh, finding rewarding, and I hope as some of you are reading through the book of Exodus right now, you may be finding a similar thing, and that is when you start to see the parallels that are so kind of profound in terms of like what was happening in the Old Testament account of God's people and what was being instituted, what was being started, what was being set in motion that then would be fulfilled in the person of Christ. So when we get to Good Friday, we're actually going to stay in Exodus and we're going to talk about the Passover and all that Jesus kind of was for us. As What was he doing as he was getting ready to go to the cross? He was celebrating the Passover from centuries before with his disciples and then fulfilling everything that the Passover essentially was and represented, but in an exponentially greater scale at the cross. These kind of parallels are just amazing to me. So today, I want to talk a little bit about this idea of slavery and freedom, but I do want to encourage you to read this in real time, and this is what I mean by this. Pastor Dan last week talked a little bit about uh, the deliverance and the plagues and all that stuff. It was an awesome message. I heard it on Rewind. Incidentally, I don't know, do we have any ACFers that are here today because ACF went away for a retreat? We got a few. All right. Woo-woo for ACF. Uh, Good. Uh, it was awesome to get to be with you guys last week. Uh, we got to go uh, connect. Amy and I were over there, and Dan was here. And just to see what God continues to do through that ministry, I, I love the heart of ACF, and I love the, the stirring that God continues to do there. So anyway, that's what we were doing last week. And Pastor Dan, if you were here, he was the one preaching that message. And, and he brought up this point that it must have been disheartening, to say the least, for the people of God who have been crying out, they're, they're, they're crying out to God, they're asking Him for deliverance, they're feeling the oppression and the weight of their circumstances, they are suffering. And in their crying out to God, I don't know if the word got around, but God has called to Moses and brought him out of sort of obscurity, and he and Aaron are now coming in to go to Pharaoh to have this big showdown. But with the message, it's time to let the people go. So I would imagine that anybody that knew about this would probably be pretty excited that it was potentially happening. This is the answer to prayer that God is finally bringing. And the response immediately, I know Dan was a little farther along, but the earlier, earliest response is Exodus 5. And the immediate response is no, it's not going to happen. Even though there were signs and wonders, even though there were things, even though there was a commission and a direct uh, sending from God uh, into Egypt to do this thing, the response is no. So in real time, you read this, and it's got to be disheartening. In fact, not only is it a no, but now the quota stays the same, the task gets more difficult, and so the people who are already struggling and crying out to God are now saying, God, the situation is getting worse and not better. That is suffering. That is suffering. Some of you are in the place right now of trying to figure out what is God doing? And the questions that we ask when we suffer are usually why and how long? And neither of those we usually get a direct answer to, at least not right away. So I want to talk a little bit about this idea of suffering. The first, um, (laughs) it's, it's interesting, like, nobody's pro-slavery right so we got a situation here the israelites they're being oppressed they're they're actually living as slaves 
Uh, nobody reads this account in a modern way and says like, yeah, that sounds good. That, so- that sounds like the kind of thing that should happen. In fact, many people in our, in our world today uh, give of themselves, give their time, give their energy to say, no, we, we are here to end the suffering of oppressed people because that still happens very, very, in a very real way. Uh, but, but let me ask you to consider this a little bit, and then we're going to look at these two points together. Um, here's the first way I, I guess I would say this. You cannot deny the reality of your pain. You can deny a lot of stuff in life. You can live kind of with your head in the sand and say, well, yeah, but, but when pain has a way, suffering has a way of bringing a level of clarity to your thought process in your life. It's not necessarily a happy or a good clarity, but it is you can't deny when you're in this place of suffering. In fact, I would ask this question this way. Is anything more real than suffering? And then maybe this question. Is any longing more powerful than freedom? So if we read this in real time and we stay with the people of God who are there in the middle of the suffering right now, the first point I want to talk to you about is simply this, suffering without limits. And the second one, there's only two, the second one is freedom without boundaries. And I want to ask you to consider those two statements and like, what does God's word say about suffering without limits or freedom without boundaries? So Israel at this time... They're suffering, they're enslaved, they're oppressed, their situation, even though they're crying out to God and God is hearing them and sending a deliverer, but their circumstances in the now and in the moment, they're getting worse and not better. So let me ask you to consider this. One of the perennial difficulties that we encounter in our walk of faith is the presence of suffering in our world. The life of Moses, the account of Exodus is not exempt from what I would call incredible suffering. In fact, maybe there are some of you right now reading through the book of Exodus and you're saying, like, you're wondering a little bit about the goodness of God in a world that appears to be so broken even then. Let alone, if that wasn't hard enough, how do we make sense of things in our own day? How do we make sense of the chaos in our world? How do we make sense of what feels like the daily heartbreak that we often see and even experience ourselves? How do you make sense of things like school shootings? How do you make sense of mental health crises? How do you make sense of financial upheavals? How do you make sense of genocide and war on a global scale and personal loss that many of us face on the home front? It seems like We live in a world where suffering has no limits. Has anybody experienced that? I mean, literally. I mean, it's it's hard not to get numb when there's so much bad news. Has anybody experienced that reality? Like, you almost feel bad about being numb because there's just so much bad news. It seems like we live in a world where suffering has no limits. Um, so I'm going to talk about that a little bit. I think that I think there is some practical things for us, even as we consider the suffering of God's people so many years ago. Um, C.S. Lewis actually gives some incredible insight in his works, The Problem of Pain and Grief Observed. Have, have any of you read those two works or in any of the, those works? 
And, and the arc of his story actually may be helpful, especially if you're in a place where you are feeling sort of the skepticism that comes when you look at the brokenness of our world, or simply put, you're just feeling the pain of being in your own very clear suffering right now. So his, the arc of his story might be a little helpful. Uh, C.S. Lewis in The Problem of Pain, uh, he wrote things like this. He said, we can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And you've probably experienced that to be true at one point or another. I hope you're not in pain all the time. But when you go into that crisis place or you're going into that time of unwanted bad news or a hard circumstance or a hard season, you might be in that right now. The megaphone of God to wake up and rouse the world, pain oftentimes is the the tool that he can use to do that. C.S. Lewis was uh, fond of saying in his lectures, he would say, you see, we are like blocks of stone out of which the sculptor carves forms of men. The blows of his chisel, which hurt so much, are what make us perfect. And you might theoretically hear that and say, sure. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, right now, I could ask you, how many of you have been through a circumstance in your life, especially if you've had a couple of years and a couple of laps, you know, you've, you've done some living, you've come through a circumstance, unwanted, it was painful, it was difficult, but you actually have, would look back on it and say, no, I saw how God actually used that to refine my character, to deepen my resolve, to, to build some things in me, sort of a James 1 moment, you know, like you go through trials of many kinds, but you know that God actually can use those in some and sometimes mysterious ways for his good. How many of you would say, I've been through a trial that God's used for his good? Lots of hands, most of us, okay, at one point or another. That's, that's encouraging, incidentally. Most of us have been there one way or another. Um, But it's still pretty theoretical. The blows of his chisel that hurt us so much make us perfect. You know, it sounds good here. C.S. Lewis's wife, Joy, was diagnosed with cancer, and he was left as a widower. And suddenly the problem of pain was not just a theory. And if you enter into his process, he wrote, A grief observed which has been described, listen to this, It has been described as the memoir of a, of a wounded soul, temporarily stripped of its logic, logic and rationality, and forced to wrestle out in a new, seemingly barren arena. See, now it's not the theory that he's writing about. Hey, God could hypothetically be doing this. It's the the gut-wrenching kind of real-time, I don't really know what to make of God right now. Here's what he writes, for example, in A Grief Observed. And where is God? I've got several sort of longish quotes. Just bear with. I think it's worth uh, your time today. And where is God? When I was happy and did not need him, his presence lay thick around me. But now when I most desperately need him, when I cry out to him in my pain and grief, I hear only a door slamming in my face and the sound of bolting and double bolting and after that silence. No, I cannot stop believing in God. I might just as well stop believing in my own existence. But what kind of God is he? Perhaps he is not a good and loving God. Perhaps he is a cosmic sadist an eternal vivisector. 
I don't know if you know what that word means. It is descriptive. A vivisector is one who dissects a live patient. That's pretty real. That's pretty gritty. I don't know about you, but here's the thing. Like, if you're not in pain, you read the problem of pain, and your head goes, that makes sense. If you're, if you're in the middle of it right now, and you're walking through kind of the unthinkable and the difficult and the, all of that kind of stuff, you might be able to say, yeah, I, I kind of get that second quote. He goes on to say this. He said, you know, I accuse God of being a vivisector, but to a sick animal would not the kindest veterinarian seem as such? Perhaps God, like a doctor, must often hurt to heal. Besides, did not Jesus promise us that there would be pain and grief in our world? So you can kind of see him. He's processing. He's trying to get his head around these hard things and these big things that are very real to him. He even goes on to say this. He said, you know, I, I think about how much I love my marriage with joy. And he said, but is it possible that I'm now only using God to get back to that thing that I wanted even more than him? Do I need to love God for God in all of this? So he's wrestling with big questions, which is often what we do when we're in suffering. And then there comes this. This was sort of his moment of understanding. Not conclusion, but understanding. He says, There came a vision that allowed me at last to understand the true nature of my situation. Imagine a man in total darkness. He thinks he is in a cellar or dungeon. And then there comes a sound. He thinks it might be a sound from far off, waves or wind-blown trees or cattle half a mile away. And it is then that he realizes that he is not in a dungeon at all, but he's in the outside, in the open air. Nothing really has changed. He's still in the darkness, but now he knows that he's not alone, that he's not a prisoner, and that that terrible door is bolted on the inside. So he's, he's kind of coming to grips with some stuff. Again, not, not a finished work, but it's, it's much more raw. It's much more real. And he's going through the suffering and the pain. And I would suggest to you that probably there is some element through which we might read the Israelite story with a problem of pain mentality. To say, oh, see what God was doing. He was doing these things, and he was working stuff for their good, and he had a plan. It was just going to take some time. But in the moment, it felt like a grief observed. In the moment for you, it oftentimes feels that way as well. So there, there are a couple conclusions just from this first point that I would draw your attention to. Number one, I don't know if you found this to be true. I have found that the best comfort comes from those who have actually suffered. Have you seen that? You know, it's a, it's a Corinthian kind of reality that we, we comfort others with the comfort that we have received, uh, which doesn't make that easy either. But it's an important part of your calling. It's an important part of body of Christ. It's an important part of how do, you, how do you sit with and be with those who right now maybe are struggling or suffering. So that's one. The best comfort seems to come from those who have suffered. Uh, here's another one. You know, when we talk about like the limits of suffering, salvation comes from a God who understands pain and suffering on an historic and even global scale. The suffering of Christ opens the door to the glory of God. And that is exactly what we are heading into, that reality in Holy Week. I'm praying that for you, that you will understand maybe with fresh eyes the sufferings of Christ. That's what we do on Good Friday. 
We sit in the shadow of the cross and we think about what he has undertaken for us. We can't fully get our minds around it, but we take the discipline of trying. We try to imagine the, the love so amazing, the love so divine, the cost so great as we sit in the shadow of the cross. The sufferings of Christ open up the door to the glory of God. And that's actually true in a microcosm in your life and in mine and in a macro scale in what God is doing in his redemptive work in the world. So you've got to remember when you read Exodus, this is a part of the redemptive story. This is a piece, all of these things that will have a foreshadowing of that which is to come. And it is beautiful and it is glorious, but it wasn't without pain. Here's one other thing I would just say as a, as a conclusion. The skeptic who cannot believe in God or the times that I have been very skeptical because life is hard and I don't, frankly, understand why there is so much suffering. I'm not immune to that and neither are you. The interesting thing is um, I started asking myself some questions. These were inspired by some other thinkers, smarter people than me, but one of them goes like this. Uh, what level of suffering would be acceptable to you? Half as much? See, the problem with that line of thinking is this. Of course, we would say, well, half as much would be better. But the half that remains is still unfathomably hard. A third as much? Well, sure, that would be better. But the third that remains is still unfathomably hard. And there's not really a spot short of no suffering at all that you would say, okay, yeah, I think I can get my mind around this challenging piece. So this is the other thing. This is the other thought that came to my mind. What are we longing for? All of us who are in a place, maybe right now, you may be in a place right now, you are sideways with God, you're angry with God, you're upset at the level of suffering in the world, maybe it's because something that's touched you or your family, maybe it's just the way that things are, and so you find yourself saying, I'm just not sure I could believe in a God like this. What are we longing for? <laughs> so I started thinking this, I started playing this out of my mind. I said, okay, well, a place where there's no sickness place where sadness is either undone or rolled back or whatever the description is of that a place where we actually can kind of get what God is doing and not be in this place of like frustration and and angst and waiting and all that kind of stuff and I realized wait a minute what are we we're, we're longing for heaven isn't it odd that like the skeptical people in your life who are saying right now I can't believe in a God who would allow suffering in some strange way may actually be longing for heaven. Isn't that an interesting conversation that may come? So anyway, um, suffering is a real thing and it felt appropriate for us to kind of backtrack, um, share a little bit of C.S. Lewis story, et cetera, and talk about that idea of suffering without limits. I'm gonna do one more point with you though today before we go to communion. Uh, and that is this idea of freedom without boundaries. What strikes me, and I never saw this before, um, what's the big phrase that everybody says, Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh and they say these words? What do they say? Let my people go. You know, let them go. And he says no, and they say yes, and then the whole thing unfolds, and, and Dan unpacked that very well. I'm not gonna do that again for you, but this is what strikes me as really fascinating and really interesting. The message originally is actually this. Let my people go so that... They can go hold a festival so that they can go out. And I find this interesting too. They can go and make sacrifices 
And they say, like, because otherwise that plagues might break out against us or the sword or whatever, which actually reveals how little they yet know about God. You know, they, they don't fully understand him. They know he's powerful and can do things, but there's all of this stuff that they have not been initiated to who he actually is yet. But the command was not, give me freedom so I can run around and do whatever I want. Let God's people go so that they can just do what feels best to them. It was actually, let them go so that they can move into freedom with boundaries. And this is the second point. The great question is, when we talk about freedom, and everybody is talking about freedom, what do we actually mean? That's a fascinating question. In fact, as I was thinking about this, I thought to myself, this may be the most relevant question in our day, period. And it's coming in some ways from Exodus and other places. I think about, when I started thinking about freedom, like, what do we mean by freedom? And I was taken back, like this song started in my head, and I wasn't sure who sang it, so I looked it up or whatever. It was Rolling Stones. I'm free to do what I want. Any old time. Do you guys know this song? I'm free to do what I want. Am I the only one? Any old? Rick knows this song. I know you know this song. Okay. Another lyric. I didn't remember this lyric was in here. I'm free to be who I choose to get my booze. Any old time. You had to throw that in there as well. But the message is simply this. I'm gonna, I want to live my life the way that I want to live my life. Interesting. That was written by the Rolling Stones. It was covered by the Soup Dragons in 1990. It was covered again by Dua Lipa in 2020. So I started thinking about this idea of like, what does it mean to be free? That theme is actually super prevalent in our world still today. And it's not a new idea. Frank Sinatra sang, I did it my way a few generations ago. How many of you guys know that song? You know, did it my way, whatever. Uh, when I was in high school, Bobby Brown was living out his prerogative, I can do what I want to do, you know? And this is where it actually kind of becomes fascinating because this whole idea of freedom from a biblical standpoint was not let my people go so they can do what they want to do. It was let my people go so that they can engage with God but in a way that had all kinds of boundaries. Now, this is where it, it, it still gets really fascinating because we get a glimpse of a deeply countercultural move that God is introducing for his people. It is freedom, but it is not freedom from boundaries, it is freedom within boundaries. And here's the crazy thing every one of your meaningful relationships that you're in right now affirms that that is a better way when you are able to say to somebody you are my best friend and what you mean by that is i will do things with you or for you or whatever that i i wouldn't do for just anybody because i have a relationship a commitment and a bond with you that's essentially saying i'm restricting myself from all of this out here so that i can invest here that is that is freedom with boundaries. Some of you are married. You can't get a much better example of that. I mean, you literally stand up in front of God and people and say, I will give myself to you and only to you for as long as I should live. 
I mean, that is, that is the definition of boundaries. I'm not going to give myself physically or in another way to other people. I'm going to give myself to you. And, and here's the thing. We all know, at least intrinsically, and, and authorities would tell us that that actually creates a better and healthier place for love to thrive and for family to thrive and everything else. But it's freedom with boundaries. Can you imagine if your closest relationships were marked by you simply saying, I don't want to have any strings attached. I don't want to have any obligation here. That's not what God was calling him into. So anyway, so I'm processing this. Here's where it also gets fascinating. Again, I said that like four times, but I'm fascinated by it. It's fascinating in this concept because I'm making the argument to you today that freedom within boundaries is infinitely better than the epic implosion of declaring oneself free from any authority beyond self-rule. So if the boundaries are in the wrong place or set by the wrong people, you're right back in Egypt. It's not freedom, it's suffering. In fact, I remember as a college student, I went through a phase, I was not really walking with the Lord, I was very disillusioned with my faith when I got out of high school, disappointed in the church, didn't want to be involved in the church, didn't want to be involved with Christian people, everybody's a hypocrite, um, which I was happy to say about everybody else, you know all of these hypocrites in the world um, and so yeah I really wasn't walking with the Lord and in some ways I was sort of declaring my own independence I will be my own captain I'll be the captain of my own ship I'll make my own decisions I don't need a celestial God looking over me or what I'm going to do my own thing and here was the crazy thing that I experienced in that season of my life and many of you have experienced that some of you are experiencing that now and that is this you're making a declaration of independence I'm free to do what I want, and you know in your heart you're not. You're stuck with habits that you can't seem to figure out. You're doing things that you're saying, well, okay, I'm not going to do that, but then you do it. You know, it's like a, it's a very Roman 7 kind of, I'm doing the things I don't want to do, and I'm not, you know, who's going to rescue me from this body of death? I didn't have any words to put to it, but that's exactly where I was. I was declaring my freedom, declaring my independence, only I was more stuck. Some of you have been in that place. Some of you are in that place. That is freedom without boundaries. And for all of the evidence I can find, it really doesn't work. I remember looking in the mirror and saying to myself, this doesn't feel like freedom. Because it wasn't. So some of your life is, lives are telling that story as well. Um, okay, one last little rant on that, and then, I'll, and then I'm going to move us forward. Um, the, th the thing that's fascinating to me about that whole concept, that whole idea, this is not a new idea in our culture, in our world, but a biblical idea of freedom within boundaries is actually very countercultural. Here's the thing. What was the attitude when we said, we're going to build a tower, Tower of Babel? You remember we preached on this. It was the anti-God state of mind. We're going to make a name for ourselves. We're going to do this thing on our own. We're going to be free to do what we want to do. And God said no, and he resisted it. Egypt emerges essentially as the new version of Babel. This is the world power. We're building this on our own. We're doing our thing or whatever. God comes against that. Uh, the, the whole idea of Babylon all throughout Scripture is the culture that you live in. It is the desire to define for ourselves that which is right, that which is true, that which is. 
It's the same spirit that says, I will identify how I want to identify, come hell or high water, I don't care what you think, I don't care what anybody thinks. That is the spirit of the age. And that's what we actually have to do business with when we deal with our relationship with Jesus. Because the old nature in me still wants to call all my own shots. So I can come to the communion table, but there's actually kind of a, a fear because if I do it his way, I gotta do it his way. And I gotta die to myself. My old nature doesn't wanna do that. So I'm not seeing anything here, and I'm not certainly trying to point fingers at anybody that isn't, that isn't also present. This is not also present in my own heart. The arc of scripture that we see here is that God is revealing himself. He's revealing his ways. He's revealing his boundaries. For heaven's sake, he says in Deuteronomy, by the time, we're gonna get there in a little while, but he says, I set before you life and death, blessings and cursing. I mean, this is all about boundaries. Choose life that you would live. So he's calling people in to a life of freedom, but it is a life with boundaries. So anyway, I've said that about 19 times. I don't need to say it again. Um, and, and just so that you don't think I'm just kind of pulling this out of these verses, I want you to see what happens in the rest of the book of Exodus. It's all about the boundaries that he's setting. Exodus 19, Israel comes to Mount Sinai. Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments are given. That, that's boundaries, right? 20 to 23, the law of God is given. 24, uh, chapter 24, the covenant uh, with his people is confirmed. Uh, 25 to 40 is all about the tabernacle and the articles of worship and what does it mean to approach God and how do we do that in a right way instead of a wrong way and what happens when we fail and how do we make amendment, all of that kind of stuff. All of this is the boundaries of how to live in a right relationship and standing with God. It is a beautiful picture out of slavery and into a life of worship. And the biblical answer is this, and you may be wrestling with it today and you need to wrestle with that, it's fine. The biblical answer is this, out of slavery and into worship with God, that is freedom. That is freedom. Okay. Now, here's the thing that's fascinating and we'll wrap up with this. You probably know the answer to this question, but I'm gonna ask it anyway. How did God's people do <laughs> in this whole thing? Anybody wanna give a like not good you know someone in the first service is like not good yeah that's it not good um and and then here's the here's the interesting thing and we'll wrap with this so they're no longer enslaved by egypt you heard the message last week and the 10 command 10 10 uh plagues and all of that no longer enslaved by egypt but when you see the tendency toward rebellion and the tendency toward grumbling and the tendency toward infighting and all of the stuff that, that plagued God's people all the way up to the time of Christ. I mean, all the way up to the time that, that God's people are saying, crucify him, right? I mean, they're, they're missing the, the heart of God again and again and again. What do we see? They're no longer enslaved by Egypt, but they're still prisoners of their own hardened hearts. Yeah, Pharaoh had the hard heart. <laughs> but he wasn't the only one. A deeper work was still needed. And so here's the, here's the joy. This is sort of a heavy message or whatever, but here's the joy. The deeper message, the deeper work is done. That's what we celebrate at communion. If you had to simply hold up your track record, you would fail just as much as me and everyone else that's gone before us when we come to the communion table 
We're talking about entering into a relationship that we have been invited into, not that we have deserved, not that we have earned. You weren't good enough or pretty enough or handsome enough or nice enough or smart enough or whatever. None of that. You didn't earn it. This is the free work of Christ for us. Sinners who did not deserve to have communion with him literally have a restored relationship with him because of his finished work. That was the deeper work that still needed to be done. Today we celebrate that work at the communion table. This is a time that we take monthly to be reminded of a reality that affects us daily. So I'm going to invite our people that are going to come serve communion to come up to these little stations. Uh, Our worship team is going to come up, lead us in a little bit of music while we come to the communion table. Little housekeeping, if you need gluten-free communion, which some of you do, uh, that station farthest to my left, your right, is the station that has gluten-free. So if you would like to do that, when you come to the table, uh, you can go to the uh, high table that has the intinction, that's where we rip it off and dip, or if you want something that's a little less hands-on, you can use the uh, tables that are lower, um, and we just want to serve you. Let me, let me, uh, I want to pray for you first, Uh, we're going to get our hearts ready, and then I'll just read you a quick scripture, and then we'll go to the table. Uh, Jesus, thank you for... um, Thank you for the deeper finished work. Um, It does our hearts some real good when we recognize that our world is, yes, full of suffering, and yes, there is pain, yes, there is hardship. Uh, Yes, some of us are in the middle of that right now, and we pray encouragement and a lift over them, over us. But we have a God who understands suffering. And so, as well as we are able to, we want to acknowledge that before you. Jesus, your body was broken for us. And your blood was poured out for us. This was not easy. This was you giving giving us everything. You took on the sin of the entire world. And the only thing we can really relate to is our own guilty conscience, which is bad enough. You took the sin of the world. So we are reminded, and we are grateful, and we are hopeful. And I pray, God, that especially as we come into this holy week, that there would be a a renewed uh, Hosanna prayer in us. Lord, save. Lord, do a work. And I pray that there would be a renewed yes in us as we hear your invitation calling us not just to the table, but to the person, to the person of Jesus Christ. Cause us to walk more closely with you. So I pray that you would meet us in the midst of all of that. And we pray this in Jesus' name. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When you are ready, after you've had a little time, you can pray, wait on the Lord, do some business with him. Make your way to one of the tables. Enjoy communion. Be encouraged by what Christ has done for you. Uh, The team is going to sing over us as we do that.
and then we'll close the service.